and friends, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Patriot Strong. If you haven't already, please make sure that you hit that follow and subscribe button just so you make sure that you are alerted to every episode that we have and you never miss an interview like the one tonight with our featured guests. Uh, my next guest is a retired Army sergeant, author, columnist, and warfighter rights leader, Boone Cutler. Um, first and foremost, thank you so much for your service. I have a lot of military in my family, so I appreciate the uh, sacrifice that military people and military families go through, and that's what I want to thank you for right off the start. Thank you, Courtney. It's a pleasure to serve this beautiful country. I, I, I appreciate your, uh, your kindness. For my audience that might not be as familiar of who you are specifically, can you just kind of go through your military background, what you've done, what you're working through now, and what's to come? Yeah, sure. Uh, primarily, I, I, you know, I served in the United States Army. I joined about uh, 1990. It's actually 1989. And they retired me in 2010 after my service in Iraq. I was injured in Iraq. I spent two years at Walter Reed Army Medical Center recovering from my injuries. And that's when I saw a lot of things that uh, led me to start writing, to really getting the story out. And so uh, the first book I wrote uh, was called Call Sign Voodoo. And I wrote that uh, primarily in country during my tour. So it's really a soldier story about what happens on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, from the psychological operations perspective, because that was my job during that particular conflict. And I also wrote a lot about Walter Reed Army Medical Center, what was happening there during the neglect sand sc scandal, specifically in 2007. A lot of people don't remember it, but there was a, a tremendous uh, neglect scandal that went on there in 2007. And I wrote about that. After that, I followed up with a book called FPL, uh, it stands for Functional Personalized Lifestyle. And that was about uh, about getting healthy, about getting off all the drugs and, and uh, kind of formulating a, a lifestyle change that was was more conducing, more conducive to living uh, on this side of the wire, as we say in the civilian world. And then uh, a few years ago, I really got involved in trying to trying to you know be a part of the solution to all the things I was seeing that was happening in the country, uh, which led me to to writing this book with General Flynn, and that's uh, the Citizen's Guide to Fifth Generation Warfare. Um, and we've got session one out there right now, which is intro to 5GW, and session two will be out here within the next few days, maybe a week. Uh, and that's um, how to fight artificial intelligence, because that's such a center of gravity for our, our adversaries right now is artificial intelligence. And everybody wants to know, hey, how do we fight this thing? What's what how do we how do we turn uh, you know, a negative into a positive and, and really put ourselves in the in the position that we are, 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 are seizing the, the, the advantages that we have? And so many of us really don't know that we do have opportunities there. You know, it's not just some some big monster that can never be defeated. There, there are ways to fight that. And General Flynn and I spent a lot of time together going over this one, which is basically the worldview, everything that's happening in the world and who's doing it and, and why they're doing it and how they're doing it. And then we followed it up with, with breaking that down uh, into the context of, okay, who's the primary adversary and what tools do they have? What are their centers of gravity? And uh, the main center of gravity that we wanted to approach in session two was art artificial intelligence. AI is a huge, I want to say threat right now. It's in every aspect. I feel that we, that we are given. 
and um, you know, having somebody really break it down to see how that it can be good in some ways, but it can be really bad in other ways. I think that you know everybody's going to need to read session two. For those who haven't read Fifth Generation, The Citizen's Guide to Fifth Generation Warfare, the first book, can you kind of give a brief overview? What is Fifth Generation Warfare and how would you relate it to what's going on right now? Sure. The Citizen's Guide to Fifth Generation Warfare is a series. It's a book series that will continue. And basically, if I could not, if I could put it into a nutshell, they are military manuals that were written for civilians. You know, General Flynn and I, the way the whole thing got started was we were literally standing in a hallway and uh, having a conversation. I was traveling the country talking to veterans groups about veteran issues, and he was traveling the country talking to groups about the issues that are happening around the country. And uh, the conversation came up. He said, hey, Boone, every time I get off stage, everybody has a tremendous amount of questions about all this upheaval and, and, and being manipulated, and they, they're just confused. They don't understand it. And I said, well, that's pretty interesting because I get off stage and people are asking me the same exact thing. And these are two totally different target audiences in, in a lot of aspects. And it doesn't matter if you're talking to a gay black female in Chicago or a white male corn-fed boy in Alabama that's a conservative. Everybody is kind of feeling the same thing. They just feel like things are being tweaked and manipulated, and they, 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 they feel like they know what the truth is, but they don't understand why it's inconsistent with all the things that they're seeing and feeling and all the things that they have family members that are just really coming from left field like they've been completely brainwashed. And, and they don't understand where it's coming from. And that's fifth generation warfare. Um, and so we decided, you know, hey, why don't we do, why don't we break this down into the same way we do things in the military and we train people? Let's give them a training set. Let's give them something to train on because the biggest problem that we have here is that we're not speaking the same language. We're just speaking from this visceral aspect in our lives where we just, people are just explaining everything differently. And you really don't have a voice unless you speak the same language. And so the way you do that into the, in the military is you have training. You train people on the same information with the same language so we can get things done. And that's really at the very, very base level of getting people to act as a unit, as a team. And that's what we need to do right now because they've got us so divided that we can't act as a team. And until we start working together and having that same voice and working as a team, we don't have much of a choice. We don't have much of a chance to win, and we want to win. And I know General Flynn feels the same way, and I know everybody who's read this book. And the book went gangbusters. I mean, we were bestseller on Amazon, bestseller on Barnes & Noble. So it's not like this isn't something people are desiring. They're absolutely desiring it, and we wrote it at a level that the average 19-year-old working at Home Depot can understand it. They have no problem reading it, and they can walk away feeling empowered. Now, you ask, what is fifth-generation warfare? Uh, fifth-generation warfare, just like we have generations of, of people, you know, whether it's millennials or whether it's uh, boomers or Gen Xers, we have generations of war the same way. The first generation war was pre-gunpowder, and then everything continues to advance into a second generation where technology changes, and third generation where technology changes again. And now we've gotten to the area of fifth generation in technological space. And technologically, what that means is it's the control of the cognitive battle space. It's controlling what's up here, people's decision-making process, how they see things, how they're willing to, um, how they're put into little boxes, or they're called filter bubbles. They used to be called uh, feedback loops. 
And this is part of that game. This is part of the game of fifth generation warfare. And it's meant to divide us. It's meant to divide us and turn each other on our neighbors on our friends and on our families. So we lose that continuity of our culture, um, a culture revolution. You've seen it before and it's been done in other ways. Everything is weaponized until something better can be weaponized. And the things that are being weaponized to today are psychological operations primarily. Now, psychological operations have existed throughout time, all the way back to the first generation of war. However, instead of being an ancillary supporting aspect of that of this generation, of that generation, now it is the primary strategy, it's the primary tactic, it's the primary line of effort or line of operation which is psychological operations. So we want to expose that and let people understand and, and see what they are, are dealing with. You know, he working from the very highest level of intelligence of, in the, in the, of the intelligence community and myself working from the very ground level, the eye-to-eye, face-to-face uh, perspective of psychological uh, operations, it, it's really made a nice mesh on people take, being able to take the entire world situation, boiling it all the way down to what's hitting you on the nose every day. You know, you're absolutely right. And um, you mentioned before, General Flynn has a saying, you know, uh, local impact makes a, a na- or local action makes national impact. And I stand true to that. And I try and share that with all of my friends. And you just said, you know, it, it, doesn't really affect you until it hits you right in the face. And whenever I was a elementary level um, teacher, I was introduced with the LGBT curriculum that I was supposed to teach children. And that is a huge thing right now, Uh, you know, targeting our kids. And, uh, you know, everybody is facing it at, you know, one way or the other. And we see all of these parents that are standing up in their local school boards and they're being targeted for, you know, hate speech or whatever it may be. But if you have a problem with it, if you as a parent have a problem with the curriculum that your child is being taught, nothing is going to change unless you you rise above and you join and make a, a local impact. And that's another thing that I'm doing on my podcast, trying to show like everyday listeners, people, my neighbors, how, how you can run for a school board or how you can run for a city council, you know, all of these local, local and small level things that can make a national impact. I, I can't thank you enough for doing that. There's so many people, and I got nothing against them, but, but let's be honest, a lot of people on social media, they talk the talk and they do a really good job of sharing information, but they're really not doing anything. They're not out there making change. And I commend everybody who has the gumption to actually step away from their their screen and and find out who's around them and getting involved. In chapter eight, specifically in this book, The Citizens Guide to Fifth Generation Warfare, session one, we talk about reliability networks. We talk about sustainability. We talk about what does it mean to build a network uh, within a 10-mile car drive of your house or within a 10 minute car drive of your house. You know, these things are very, very important. A lot of us who spend time on social media, our friend groups are so disjointed now. You know, you've got friends in New York, you got friends in Australia, Canada, you know, California, all over the place. And if the, if the you know, if things really went sideways, could you really rely on each other? You couldn't, there's no right. way. You know, you're there for, that's, the social media is really for moral support. 
It's not for any tangible, tangible physical support. So we've got to get back to understanding who's in our neighborhood, who's two streets over. Find someone out there who knows how to fix a car if you don't know how to fix a car. Find someone out there who's got a garden that'll let you pick from the garden. Find someone who knows how to go fishing where the fishing spots are, hunting, find a meat source. You know, there's there's all types of these things. And we talk very deeply about that in, in uh, chapter eight. Because if we want to remove our vulnerabilities so they're not used against us, we have to become self-sustainable. And that's another thing. I had General Flynn on a couple months ago, um, and we talked about the same thing, just how important it is. Like You can say one thing behind a screen, but until you get up and do your local level action, your call to action, it really does nothing because you know behind the screen is only doing so much. Um, and, you know, that's when people need to read the books like you and General Flynn are putting out. They're breaking it down. You guys are breaking everything down. You know, our country is in, in my opinion, in a state of distress. You know, it's everybody, everybody is pitted against each other in one way or the other. And it's a united, we stand, divided, we fall kind of thing. And that's what yes. they're trying to do, divide and conquer. And they're going to continue to do that. And it's it's not just, you know, it's not just our country. Uh, this is happening everywhere. And, I, you know, we spend time, I spend time talking with people in Canada, Australia, the Netherlands, the UK, uh, France, Germany. And believe it or not, everybody's feeling the same thing. This is a, This is a global attack on humanity all the way around. It's a global attack on humanity. It's a way to get to turn the world into a communistic structure that can be controlled primarily through AI and autonomous drones if we don't step in and make and, and correct that issue right away. And this has been, you know, this has been the game. This since the Bolshevik Revolution, this has really been, you know, go back and read about Trotsky and Lenin and and Stalin and the conversations that they were having about how what's the probability of of communism and socialism. And there was a, there was an argument there, and the argument was it's not going to be possible unless the whole world can be forced to do it at the same time. And now that is a position, you know, that's been positioned. Those shaping operations have occurred, and they're putting those things into action right now to to cause that. And right now we're seeing a two stage communist revolution in states or in countries that are not socialist. You know, you move to socialism through socialism to get to communism. That's a two-stage communist re revolution. And in other countries that are already socialist, they're moving straight to communism, and it's moving very fast because they're already socialist. So we want to very much avoid that path. Otherwise, it really is the whole world going down at once. You're you're so right. I literally had um, a listener of the podcast message me. Like an hour ago, he's from France. He said, you know, everybody is looking at the United States to see what they're doing and where they're going, because eventually what's happening here in the U.S. is going to trickle down to other countries. Um, and just like you said, it's a it's a global thing. It's not just it's not just us. It's happening in all countries all around the globe. And, you know, a lot of people are keeping their eyes on the U.S. to see what they think might happen next. You know, the world has, at least since since World War II, maybe even before, the world has always looked to the United States as, hey, listen, this is a these are the these are the rebels. These are the people that will fight back. These are the people that keep their guns and they're not going to be rolled over. You know, that's that's kind of how we've inspired people everywhere around the world. You know, everybody. 
everybody has wanted to be more like the United States. It doesn't matter where you go. And so now the people who are not like the United States are like, hey, come on, Americans, you got to do this. You're like, you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like you just saw Star Wars, you know, where uh, R2-D2 has that video of Princess Leia and she yeah. says, Obi-Wan, you're my <laughs> only hope. Well, people are looking at the United States and they're Princess Leia and they're saying, you know, hey, you're my only hope. You know, show us that you can do it, because if you can break this down, then they can't get the rest of us. And that's the truth. So, you know, we, we have to build those networks and we have to build that system that we can fight back and also give strength and encouragement to, you know, other people around the world that are fighting for this, this, this fight against globalism, because it really is globalist fight, fighting to take down humanity as it stands. They want to change the way you think. They want to change what you feel like you can talk about. Look at China and all they're doing with their social credit scores. You know, you yeah. can't say certain things in China without being reprimanded. And this is this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. This is about total control of the mind and the cognitive battle space. And uh, again, I can't recommend this stuff. I'm not here just to sell a book. I'm here to say, hey, we need to get on the same sheet of music and somebody's got to take the helm to make that happen. Luckily, General Flynn agreed to, to jump in on this project and we've done it together. So uh, again, who do you pick? If you're, if you're going to sit back and say, okay, who's the right person that knows the most, most about what's happening in the world, you would take the guy who was sitting in the seat of the National Security Advisor and the, the leader of the, of the uh, Defense National Intelligence Agency, Defense Intelligence Agency. The dude really has a good concept of who the players are and what the players are doing. And we've, we've meshed that together with, with my PSYOP background and, and he signed off on it, and I sign off on it. I stand by every sentence and every word inside the book. But it's one of those things that, until, again, until we – if we don't speak the same language, we don't have a voice. This month, the book also comes out. Session one comes out in Danish and Spanish. Um, so that's a big deal. We want to get this book into other people's hands across the world because they also – we need to speak with one voice globally and say this is not going to happen. Yeah, and before we go into uh, where you can find the book, because I do want all of my audience, you guys, you need to read this book. Um, it's going to give you, uh, like he said, a higher intelligence and higher clearance insight to what's really going on and how you can make your own impact. But you have to read the book. There's quizzes, I think, at the end of every every chapter just to try and, you know, really clue you in and make sure that you know and you learned the information that you just read. Um, something that I personally wanted your opinion on is a document, an article that I read earlier this week um, because I heard it on another podcaster, Mike Adams. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. The Health Ranger Report. He pointed out there was a leaked DOD, not really leaked. It had just not been as publicized as it is now for specific treatment of service members who identify as transgender. And, you know, I know all of the military personnel in my family, they're like really big and buff and they're tough and they are strong against, you know, supporting America and all of the, you know, military things. And whenever I was reading over this document, it's 35 pages long. You guys can go download the PDF on it. Um, I was just kind of shell shocked and I just uh, jotted down some of the major points that I wanted your opinion on because I know that. You know, you have a strong military background and you know and serve with people who are the same. So 
Um, it was, you know, loosely about uh, transgender personnel in the military and their special treatment. For those of for those members who identify as transgender, the DoD memo reveals transgender service members can skip deployments and receive indefinite physical fitness standards and waivers. Um, there was three or four major like. Um, I don't know, paragraphs that kind of highlighted what really goes on in this. And I know that there's been conversations that have been uh, recorded with us as well. The first one, taxpayer-funded care for transgender members include speech and voice therapy, cross-sex hormones, laser hair removal, body and facial contouring, and upper and lower surgeries. You know, whenever I think of military people, I think of people that are strong-minded and that are physically... Uh, physically strong to you just, know, just let me let me you're absolutely right i gotta just chime in here let me explain a couple things first of all you've got guys out there who broke their ankle in the seventh grade that can't get in the military okay right. you've got guys out there who maybe had childhood asthma and cannot get in the military because they had childhood asthma so let's take the transgender game out of it and say okay how come if you're going to not let someone who had childhood asthma between the ages of eight and 12 not be in the military, how can you allow somebody who's in that requires constant medical treatment and and keep them from deploying? The military's job is to break shit and stack bodies. Right. So how can that happen if you are not able to deploy, if you're non-deployable? Deployable troops is what the military is all about. So let's take the transgender thing off the table and just say, okay, now we're creating double standards. And that is absolutely wrong for the military because there is one standard in the military. You either achieve it or you don't achieve it. And if you don't achieve it, you're a non-hacker and you get put out. That's the way it goes. Um, right. There is no special treatment. So I don't care if you're transgender. I don't care what your thing is. You either can, you either can or you cannot. And if you're allowing certain people to get in who need constant medical care, but some guy who broke his ankle in the third grade can't get in, well, that's discrimination. And that's that's an issue, right, in and of itself. Yeah. And every everything else, that's the base level. Forget about the politics. Forget about what everybody wants to say about transgender. Just from a medical standard, that's an issue. And the other thing is letting people out of deployments because – well, letting people in the military that can't deploy doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't make a exactly. lot of sense at all. Yeah. So it's got it. It's ridiculous. They're trying to change the culture of the military. Exactly. They're trying to weaken it. And that's wrong. And that's, you know, you just kind of summed up the next two points. They go into service members who identify as transgender can receive a physical fitness and standards waiver or exemption that fits with their gender identity um, and can be renewed every six months. And then the third one that they went into is, you know, since somebody who identifies as transgender is constantly taking hormones during their transformation or transform time, that they are considered non-deployable. And since you have to be on those for a lifetime, they can be in the army or not in the army, in the military, sorry, and be permanently unable to deploy which completely, like you said, discriminates those who want to join but can't because of other physical illnesses. And it, it depletes our army, our military, you know, the people that are on the front lines that are trying to, or that's supposed to defend our country and our freedoms. 
And it's just kind of, you know, like lollygagging all of these people in the background. And I think it makes us look like a laughing stock of the world. It, I think, well, you're going to go back to Eisenhower. You know, I think it was Eisenhower who desegregated the military. I think the 82nd Airborne Division was the first military that was desegregated. And even during that time and forward, the way that they dealt with it, I know when I showed up the basic training at Fort Benning, Georgia in March of 1990, I had a black drill sergeant standing in front of me said, there's only one color here and it's green. And that was the deal. You know, the standard is the standard and there is no color. There was no special treatment beyond whites or blacks or Hispanics or Puerto Ricans or anybody else. It, everybody, there was one standard. And so when and I think that was a good mentality. I think that was a good thing. I think uh, the the military desegregate desegregating after World War Two was a fantastic thing. But it was a fantastic thing based upon a single standard. Right. And of course, maybe culturally, it took some time for that to happen. But it was still one standard from the top down. It was it was mandated. So when you have a military that is mandating various standards based upon the individual, and I'll tell you this, in the military, I think everybody out there who's ever served or is currently serving now uh, agrees that the word individual is a dirty word. You know, in, in basic training, when they would say, what are you, an individual? That was like calling you a piece of shit. Okay, you, you don't want to be an individual. You're a team player. There are no individuals. Right. And so to to create to make things individualistic really breaks down the team concept. And I would challenge anybody to uh, that uh, to, 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 to say differently. It's just not how it goes. So, you know, you have you have to have one standard. There is no special treatment. And the military is about deployable troops. And if the guy with the broken ankle from third grade or childhood asthma can't get in because of whatever, because it was an injury, because it requ may, may require um, uh, medical treatment in the future, may make them uh, less structurally strong, well, then how can you admit somebody in with other pre-existing conditions? And if you're going to say, that this is a medical issue, not a psychiatric issue, which some may may argue that that being trans is a medical issue. Well, then if it's a medical issue, it is a pre-existing injury, is a pre-existing issue. And if other people cannot get in with pre-existing issues, then why can you change the standard for one group? I absolutely agree with everything that you just said. Um, you know, like I said, whenever I first read that, I was kind of taken back because all of these people, you know, we hear about all of these stories and we watch all these movies and we read all these books of the brave men and women, you know, men especially, you know, back in the day, whenever they literally put their lives on the line and they sacrificed everything at, you know, 17, 18, 20, you know, whatever years old. And, uh, you know, now we have a group of people who I think, are joining just so they can get all of these free, you know, across the line treatments and they can't be discriminated against or, you know, it's going to be a, a kind of a slap on the wrist against the United States military. You see these black bracelets? I wear these every day. And these people put their lives on the line. They made sure they were deployable and they stood in the gap and they were killed for that. They, they died for this country. To tell me there is a group out there that, that not only doesn't have to put forth the same sacrifice of selflessness, 
because of a medical condition is completely outside the bounds of what the military is and what it's ever stood for. Yeah. Oh, you know, that's like, it's something that's so near and dear to my heart. And I support the military, you know, all, all of them, and you and all of your, your friends who, you know, they put their lives on the line because they love this country and they don't want to see us, you know, uh, be any lower than, you know, we are. And then, like you just said, it, it makes me so frustrated to see all of these special treatment people that are coming in and, you know, they're, they're not upholding the oath of what the military personnel or service member should be. And that it just, it hurts my heart. I'm not, it just hurts me. I feel, I feel that. I feel that. Um, we only have a few minutes left. Can you go into a little bit about what the second session is for the fifth generation warfare? And then where can people find you on social media for anybody that wants to follow your story or follow the book or anything else? Uh, you can find me on all the major social media platforms. And, um, you know, it's um, as far as session two goes, how to fight artificial intelligence. It's time. It's, it's really time that each of us get a lot smarter than what we already are. You know, there's a there's a quote by Marcus Aurelius that we started the book out and it says, if the opinions of if the opinions of 10,000 men, um, if 10,000 men don't understand the subject, then their opinion means nothing. You know, that's that's the thing. So a lot of people have opinions about artificial intelligence, but they really don't have a lot of knowledge. They just either know they're very, very afraid or they think it's hype. It's absolutely not hype. Uh, Golem class AIs are a real thing. I encourage everybody to watch uh, AI Dilemma on on uh, social on um, on YouTube. It's very good to watch. It's very smart. The people who 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 made the the video are very intelligent. They know what they're talking about. These are the guys who really know what they're talking about. Elon Musk knows what he's talking about. You may not like him. Uh, Yuval Harari, you may not like him, but these guys know what they're talking about. They're telling you what's happening and they're saying, hey, we're scared. You know, the, the people at Google, they're saying, hey, we're scared. This is an issue. What people are not talking about is how, how it's weaponized. And this is the scariest of the scary because AI is absolutely weaponized. People are not talking about how the psychological program, AI-driven psychological programming, and how that impacts literally everybody. People who give, who've been giving their kids iPads for the last 10 years because they want to placate their kids so they don't have to deal with their own addiction, which is being in front of a screen way too much. This has had an effect. It's had a major effect. There's absolutely something called AI-driven psychological programming. It is absolutely a weapon of our enemy. It is actually absolutely a way to infiltrate our culture and it's absolutely a way to change our culture and the cognitive battle space to turn everybody into modern day slaves this is a real thing it's not just about robots it's not just about you know the different you know scary thing you know terminator and all this stuff you've seen it's very subtle it's very subtle but it's there and it's there 24 hours a day seven days a week you know, we talk in the book about creating lone wolf attackers. How does that happen before AI? Then how does it happen after AI? You know, these are deep things. When people will talk to me about, oh, we need gun control because look at all these mass shootings. We don't need gun control. We need AI control because it's the AIs that are actually encouraging people to commit mass murder. 
This is a real thing. And we talk about that in session two of the guide and we explain it and we give real world examples. This goes on and on. I cannot really even, you know, session two, session one was about 28,000 words. Session two is over 50,000 words. It's very deep. It's not written for PhDs. It's written for you. It's written for me. It's written for the guy down at Home Depot, just clocking in his hours and, and wants to get a little bit smarter because the world situation is not going to change until the rest of us understand what's happening, who's doing it, and how they do it. Yeah. And, you know, I can't encourage all my listeners enough. You guys go buy this book. It can be at uh, button at Barnes and Nobles or Amazon. And I will put it in the link uh, down below or somewhere up on the screen. You know, uh, he was just saying our 2A rights, our Second Amendment rights are so important. And that's one of the things that uh, separate us from the rest of the world. There are so many countries that don't have that right. And once we give up the rights to our guns and to our own personal protection, then, you know, you can read history, you can learn from it, or you can let it repeat itself. And that's really all there is to everything that's going on right now. Either learn from it or watch it happen again. Outstanding. Hold on to our Bill of Rights. Everything in our Bill of Rights, Not don't be selective. Literally everything in our Bill of Rights yes. is the way we survive. Boone, thank you so, so much for your time. I appreciate you so much and everything that you're doing. You are welcomed anytime. I would love to connect uh, another time or two, you know, um, after the book comes out or just to keep up with what you are doing, just to touch base with what's happening in the world because everybody needs it. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And hello to your audience. It's finally nice to meet everybody. You guys, thank you so much for tuning in. God bless you. God bless this country. And together we're patriots strong. Bye, guys.